Question one, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I would like to express my condolences to the family and colleagues of the former Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland, Martin McGuinness. Of course, we do not condone or justify the path he took in the earlier part of his life, and we should never forget that, nor the victims of terrorism. However, as my noble friend Lord Trimble set out yesterday, he played an indispensable role in bringing the Republican movement away from violence to peaceful and democratic means and to building a better Northern Ireland. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. John Mann. The Prime Minister says that there's more money for the National Health Service, more nurses and more doctors, yet Bassett Law... Yet Bassett Law Breast Care Unit has been cut back and Bassett Law Children's Ward has been closed overnight. Something clearly doesn't add up. Therefore, I and the mothers of the most seriously ill children who use the children's ward the most frequently offer to the Prime Minister to work with her to solve this problem. Is her door at number 10 open to us? Uh, I say to the Honourable Gentleman, if we look at what has happened in his area, his NHS Bassett Law Clinical Commissioning Group is receiving a cash increase, the Doncaster and Bassett Law Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust seek over 80 more doctors and nearly 30 more nurses. Uh, But of course what we see, he talks of listening to the voice of local people in relation to health services in a local area. That is exactly what the sustainability and transformation plans are about. It is about hearing from local people and local clinicians and putting together the health provisions that ensure that they meet local needs. Lucy Allen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Telford is a story of transformation and progress from the ironmasters of the first industrial revolution through to a new revolution in high-tech manufacturing at Telford's T54 today. It's helped build Britain. As this government delivers on the democratic will of the British people and triggers Article 50, will my right honourable friend tell us how Telford will prosper from Brexit and from her plan for Britain. Uh, As I've said before, the referendum result was not just about the membership of the EU, it was a vote to change the way that this country works and whom it works forever, to make Britain a country that works for everyone, not just the privileged few. And that's why the plan for Britain is a plan to get the right deal for Britain abroad, but also to build a stronger, fairer Britain for ordinary working families here at home, like those in Telford. And I'm pleased that we've already provided £17 million of funding to the March's LEP to improve local infrastructure in Telford. This government is putting uh, those resources in, and our plan for Britain will deliver that stronger, fairer economy and a more united and more outward-looking country than ever before. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Could I start by echoing the words of the Prime Minister concerning the death of Martin McGuinness, the former Deputy Minister of Northern Ireland. He died this week and our thoughts go to his family, his wife Bernie and the wider community. 
Martin played an immeasurable role in bringing about peace in Northern Ireland, and it's that peace that we all want to see endure for all time for all people in Northern Ireland. Mr Speaker, this Government is cutting the school's budget by 6.5 per cent by 2020. And today we learn the proposed national funding formula will leave a thousand schools across England facing additional cuts of a further 7% beyond 2020. Can the Prime Minister explain to parents why cutting capital gains tax, cutting inheritance tax, cutting corporation tax, cutting bank levy are all more important than our children's future? This government is committed to ensuring that all our children get the education that is right for them, that all our children have a good school place. That is what the government's plans for education will provide. And that's building on a fine record of the past six and a half, nearly uh, seven years for Conservatives in government, when we've seen 1.8 million more children in good or outstanding schools. We've protected the school's budget and the national funding formula is a consultation and obviously there will be a number of views. The consultation closes today uh, and then the Department for Education will respond to that consultation in due course. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the manifesto on which she fought the last election promised that under a future Conservative government the amount of money following your child into school will be protected. No wonder even the editor of the London Evening Standard is up in arms about this. Mr Speaker, the cut to school funding equates the loss of two teachers across all primary schools, six teachers across all secondary schools. So is the Prime Minister advocating larger class sizes, shorter school day or unqualified teachers? Which is it? We have, uh, as we said we would, we have protected the school's budget. We now see more teachers more teachers in our schools. We see more teachers with first-class degrees in our schools. As I say, we see 1.8 million more children in good or outstanding schools. That's a result of the policies of this government, of diversity in education, free schools, academies, uh, comprehensives, faith schools, university schools, grammar schools. We believe in diversity in education and choice for parents. He believes in a one-size-fits-all, take-it-or-leave-it model. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, she was clearly elected on a pledge not to cut school funding, and that's exactly what is happening. Maybe she could listen to head teachers in West Sussex who say they believe savings will come from, and I quote, staffing reductions, further increased class sizes, withdrawal of counselling and pastoral services, modified school hours, reduction in books, IT and equipment. And I've got a heartfelt letter from a primary school teacher by the name of Eileen. Eileen is one of our many hard-working teachers who cares for her kids. And she wrote to me to say, teachers are purchasing items such as pens, pencils, glue sticks and paper out of their own pockets. Fundraising events have quadrupled as funds are so low that parents are having to make donations to purchase books. This is disgraceful, says Eileen. Does the Prime Minister agree with Eileen? We are seeing we are seeing record levels of funding going into our schools. 
We have protected the school's budget. We have protected the pupil premium. But what, what matters for parents is the quality of education. shouldn't keep yelling out, what about Eileen? The Prime Minister's... Yeah, the Prime Minister's... Prime Minister's giving... Prime Minister's giving our response to the Leader of the Opposition, including the references to Eileen, the Prime Minister. What... What matters for all of us who are concerned about education in this country is that we ensure that the quality of education that is provided for our children is a quality that enables them to get on in life and have a better future. That is what this government is about. It's about ensuring that in this country you get on on the basis of merit, not of privilege. It's about ensuring that every child, every child, every child across this country has the opportunity of a good school place. That's what we've been delivering for the past seven years, and it's what we will deliver into the future. And every single policy that has delivered better education for children has been opposed by the Right Honourable Gentleman. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, <clears throat> maybe she could have a word with her friend, the member for Cotswolds, who said this week, under this new formula, all my large primaries and all my secondaries will actually see a cash cut in their budgets. And in the budget, the government found no more money for the school's budget, but it did find £320 million for her own special schools, grammar schools, vanity project. So there's no money for Eileen schools, yet £320 million for divisive grammar schools. What kind of priority is that? First, uh, first of all, what we have done in relation to the funding formula is addressed an issue that Labour ignored for all its time in government. Across Across this House, there has generally for many years been an accepted view that the current formula for school funding is not fair. I was saying this, I was calling for a better funding formula over 15 years ago when I was the Shadow Education Secretary. We have put forward a, proposals, a proposal, we are consulting on it, the consultation closes today and we will respond to that consultation. But he talks about the issue of the sort of system in schools we want. Yes, we want diversity. We want different sorts of schools. We have put money into new school places. But I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, his Shadow Home Secretary sent her child to a private school. His Shadow Attorney General sent her child to a private school. He, he, sent, he sent his child to a grammar school. He went to a grammar school himself. Typical Labour, take the advantage and pull up the ladder behind you. Decent, fair opportunity for every, every child in every school. I want a staircase for all, not a ladder for the few. 
The, she hasn't been very good at convincing the former Secretary of State for Education, the Honourable Member for Loughborough, who wrote last week, all the evidence is clear that grammar schools damage social mobility. What evidence has the Prime Minister got that the former Secretary of State is wrong in that? There isn't any. The, uh, the evidence is that the attainment gap for the poorest children, the attainment gap in a selective school is virtually zero. That tells us the quality of the education that they are getting. But what I want, what I want is a diverse education system where there are genuine opportunities for all to have the education that is right for them. That's why in the budget, as well as dealing with the issue of new school places, we've also put extra money into technical education for those young people for whom the technical education is right. He says he wants opportunities for all children. He says he wants good school places for all children. Then he should jolly well support the policies we're putting forward. Mr Speaker, it's not just the former Education Secretary, it's also the Chair of the Education Select Committee who says grammar schools do little for social mobility and are an unnecessary distraction. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister and her Government are betraying a generation of young people by cutting the funding for every child. Children will have fewer teachers, larger classes, fewer subjects to choose from, and all the Prime Minister can do is focus on her grammar school vanity project that can only ever benefit a few children. Is the Prime Minister content that this generation, this generation in our schools today, will see their schools decline, their subject choices diminished, and their life chances held back by decisions of her government today? Protected school funding, more teachers in our schools, more teachers with first-class degrees in our schools, more children in good or outstanding schools. It's not a vanity project to want every child in this country to have a good school place, because that's how they will get on in life, and that's what this party will deliver. But it shows that there is a difference. difference between the right honourable gentleman and me. Earlier this week he recorded a video calling for unity. He called for Labour to think of our people first, think of our movement first, think of the party first. That's the difference between him and me. Labour put the party first, we put the country first. For centuries, for centuries, Prime Ministers have taken a close personal interest in the effectiveness of the Dover and the Channel ports as gateways and guardians of the Kingdom. So can I ask my right friend to take a close interest in making sure Kent's ports are ready for Brexit on day one, not just for customs, but also that the M20 lorry parks on schedule, the A2 upgrade and the Lower Thames crossing are taken forward. And Mr Speaker, will you join with me and the Prime Minister in wishing Dame Vera Lynn a happy 100th birthday this week and thanking her for her service to the whitelist and to the nation. Extremely grateful to the Honourable Gentleman, but I did do that a couple of days ago. The Prime Minister, 
Mr Speaker, I didn't have the opportunity in this House to do it a couple of days ago, so I'm happy to join my honourable friend uh, in wishing Dame Vera Lynn a very happy 100th birthday this week. And I think it's right that we should recognise the service that she gave to this country, as many others did. But my honourable friend raises an important issue of transport links in Kent. It's one on which he and I have discussed uh, on a number of occasions, and indeed I have with other uh, Kent MPs. In addition to the M20 lorry park, and I can assure him that the Department for Transport is fully committed to delivering a long-term solution as quickly as possible, they are currently considering the findings of the Lower Thames crossing consultation, and Highways England will be doing more detailed work on the A2, and the Home Office will be looking very closely at what measures need to be in place for Brexit and for those coming across the border into Dover. Angus Robertson. May I begin extending condolences, as the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Labour Party have done to the family, friends and colleagues of the former Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland, Martin McGuinness, and we pay tribute to his contribution towards peace, whilst never forgetting the terrible human price uh, during the Troubles. Last year, uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister promised that she would secure a UK-wide agreement between the governments of Scotland, of Wales and Northern Ireland and her government before triggering Article 50 on Brexit. Since then, she has delayed, she has blocked, she has been intransigent and she has lectured and surprise, surprise, she has no agreement. There is no agreement. Will these be her negotiating tactics with the European Union? Over the past few months, uh, every effort has been put in at various levels of ministerial and official level to work with all the devolved administrations to identify their particular concerns and interests and to ensure we are able to take those into account throughout the negotiating process and discussions will continue uh, in the future. What we, what we want to ensure is that we get the best possible deal when we leave the European Union for all the people of the United Kingdom, including the people of Scotland, because at heart we are one people. And, and Mr Speaker, uh, viewers will note that the Prime Minister totally glossed over the fact she has reached no agreement with the devolved governments of the United uh, Kingdom. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister says that she wants Article 50 negotiations to lead to a deal, and she wants people to know the outcome of that deal before it is approved. So, will the Prime Minister confirm that in the period for an agreement, The House of Commons will have a choice, the House of Lords will have a choice, the European Parliament will have a choice, 27 member states of the European Union will have a choice. Mr Speaker, if it's right for all of them to have a choice about Scotland's future, why should the people of Scotland not have a choice about their own future? This isn't a question about whether the people of Scotland should have a choice about the future. The people, the people of the, the people of Scotland voted, took a exercised their right to self-determination, and voted in 2014 to remain a part of the United Kingdom. The people of the United Kingdom last year voted to leave the European Union. We 
We are respecting both of those votes. He is respecting neither of them. Sir Julian Brazier! Mr Speaker, with her strong commitment to defence, would my right honourable friend agree that we must stem the outflow from our shrinking forces? Could I urge her to reconsider the policy she inherited of, on the one hand, encouraging service families to get onto the housing ladder, and yet, on the other hand, increasingly focusing the army in areas where there is no affordable housing, and then applying the new landlord tax uh, arrangements if they buy to let? Yeah. Uh, well, I, obviously, I recognise the passion with which my honourable friend has always uh, raised these issues in relation to the armed forces. And he does raise an important point, but I can assure him we are fully committed to our goal of an 82,000 strong army by 2020. He raises a specific point about service accommodation, and what we want to do is to ensure that people have a greater choice in where they live by using private accommodation and meeting their aspirations for home ownership. That's why we've set up the £200 million Forces Help to Buy scheme, and we're continuing to support subsidised housing for service personnel, and the pot of money will not be cut. Now, the Ministry of Defence is working with the Treasury in relation to the issues he raises, and I'm sure they'll keep him updated. Does Brendan McNeil. Couple of Mr Speaker. Uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland will be 95 years old in December. In that UK, Scottish economic growth is a quarter of that of independent Iceland and a third of that of independent Ireland. Now, given the Prime Minister supports Irish independence and the benefits it's brought its economy and population, why does she oppose it for Scotland? And will she also show Scotland the respect the EU showed the UK in regards to a referendum? Absolutely. I have to say to the honourable gentleman that if he's looking at issues around economic growth, and he quoted figures for economic growth, he should pay attention to the most important market for Scotland. The most important market for Scotland is the market of the United Kingdom, and that's why Scotland should remain part of it. Simon Hall! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, last week, with cross-party support, my honourable friend for Chippenham and I set up an all-party group for Lyme disease. Uh, this debilitating disease is a growing problem across the country, and including my constituency of North Dorset. Yet awareness of it amongst the public and GPs is incredibly low. Will my right honourable friend ensure that her government does all that it can to raise its profile and resolve the problems surrounding both diagnosis and treatment? Uh, my my honourable friend uh, raises an important point, and I commend him and my honourable friend, the member for Chippenham, for the attention that there is now being given in the House to this issue. He's right; we do need to raise awareness of this issue, but we also need to ensure that diagnosis and treatment uh, is early diagnosis and treatment is there, because that's the best way of limiting the complications from this particular disease. The DO, Department of Health is already taking steps. Clinical guidelines are being updated and enhanced by NICE. NHS England has undertaken robust reviews on diagnosis, testing and treatment, but there is more that we can do, and so Public Health England is holding regular medical training days and conducting outreach across the medical community to raise awareness and ensure that that early diagnosis is there. Alex Cunningham. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday in a Westminster Hall debate, a health minister said the issue in hand was above his pay grade. So on the basis that the Prime Minister has the top pay grade, can she give us a clue as to when we'll see the long-awaited and very late tobacco control plan? 
I can assure him uh, that we are working on the tobacco control plan and one will be issued in due course. John Stevenson. Yeah, 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 Thank you, yeah. Mr Speaker. Um, recently, a substantial number of government ministers took the opportunity to visit Cumbria. Yeah. They saw for themselves not only its beauty, but also its industrial strengths and its potential. If the government's industrial strategy is to succeed, places such as Cumbria need to be part of that success. Will the Prime Minister ensure that Cumbria gets the infrastructure investment which it requires to make sure that it really does fulfil its potential? I can assure my honourable friend that I and other ministerial colleagues were delighted to be able to take the opportunity to visit uh, the beautiful uh, county of Cumbria, and we're even happier now. Cumbria has another strong voice uh, in the form of Conservative MP for Copeland. But he's right. Cumbria and the North West has huge industrial potential. That's why we're getting on delivering our investment plans across the country, including in the North West. Uh, and just some figures, $556 million has been allocated from the Local Growth Fund to boost local productivity. The North's getting $147 million to tackle congestion and improve local transport. It's our, but it's our plan for Britain that is going to deliver that stronger, fairer economy and is going to deliver those higher paid, higher skilled jobs for people across the whole country. Greenwood. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is in denial. Today's report from the Institute of Fiscal Studies confirms that schools are already facing, quote, the largest cut in spending per pupil over a four-year period since at least the early 1980s, and that under her new national formula, Funding is diverted from schools with very high levels of deprivation. Every single school in my constituency will lose an average of £584 per pupil. Has she failed at maths or failed to read her own manifesto? I responded to this point earlier, but just to reiterate... Across this House, for many years, there has been a general acceptance that the current funding formula for schools is unfair. That is why why this Government is looking to find a formula, a fairer formula. There is a consultation exercise, and the Department for Education will respond to that in due course. We are grasping this issue. Labour did nothing for 13 years. Sir Edward Lee! Can my right honourable friend confirm that in the forthcoming debate on the restoration and renewal of Parliament, all members, including ministers, will have a completely free vote in what is a House matter? And does she understand that many of us believe that in these times of austerity, we should not be front-loading billions of pounds of worth of expenditure on ourselves at the expense of schools and hospitals, but that we should carry on the work and stay in what is the iconic image of the nation. Well, this, this, this Palace of Westminster is world-renowned. It's a very important part of our national heritage. It uh, belongs to the people of the United Kingdom and, of course, we have a responsibility to our constituents also to preserve this place as the home of our democracy. 
It will be uh, for Parliament to take the final decision on this matter, uh, but I can assure my honourable friend, as it will be a House matter, it will be a free vote. Ms Evans. Speaker, air and road pollution caused mainly by diesel engines brings about 40,000 early deaths in this country, while causing severe lung diseases like bronchitis and asthma in our young, young people and children. Haverdrunnis Road in my constituency in Crumlin is the most polluted road outside of London. It is an absolute disgrace. Most of it is caused by HGV lorries and trucks travelling up that road to spoon out noxious gases on the residents. Will the Prime Minister commit to ensure that, that hauliers will start using new, newer diesel engines and cleaner technology and cleaner energy to ensure that everybody, including our young people, can enjoy a better quality of life, especially on Haberdrenis Road? Uh, the, the Honourable Gentleman speaks up well for his uh, constituents. I have to say to him that this is an issue. We all recognise the problems in relation to air quality. That's why I mean, the Government is bringing, will be bringing forward further proposals in relation to air quality. We have seen some changes taking place and we have, of course, put investment into green transport initiatives and uh, plans to introduce clean air zones around the country will help to tackle that. And in fact, we have been at the forefront of action in Europe in some aspects in relation to this, but I accept that there is more to be done. As I say, we'll be bringing forward further proposals in due course. Yeah. Compensation paid by Network Rail to train operators for delays far exceeds the amounts that the passengers who've experienced the delays are claiming because the ticket refund process can be cumbersome. Will the Prime Minister insist that train operators ring-fence that money spend it on smart ticketing automation so that customers can tap on and tap off their train and receive the amount in their bank account for the delays that they have been caused. Yes. Uh, my own friend does raise an important uh, point and I know it's a source of much frustration to many uh, rail travellers but I'd also like to thank him for the way in which he has and others have spoken up on behalf of passengers especially on uh, the Thameslink uh, Southern and, uh, and other lines. Now, the best way to ensure that the operators do not profit from unclaimed compensation is for passengers to claim the compensation that they are entitled to. And we are looking, and the Department of Transport is looking, at how we can ensure that we publicise compensation schemes, make claims easier, and we are rolling out improved delay repay compensation to allow passengers to claim after a delay of just 15 minutes. But the Department of Transport is continuing to look at this issue, and I'm sure we'll pick up the points that he has raised. Wishart! Last week, the Electoral Commission issued its largest ever fine on the Conservative Party for breaking our vital and crucial election rules. What did the Prime Minister, the Cabinet, her aides know about any of this activity? Who was responsible for designing and signing off all of this? And does she agree with me that this is at best willful negligence and at worst pure electoral fraud? Well, the the Honourable Gentleman is asking me to respond to what is a party matter, but I can assure him uh, that the Conservative Party Conservative Party did campaign in uh, 2015 across the country for the return of a Conservative government, and we should be clear that such campaigning would be part of the party's national return, not candidates' local return, as the Electoral Commission itself has said. We accepted in April 2016, the party accepted in April 2016 it had made an administrative error on its national spending. 
It brought that to the attention of the Electoral Commission uh, in order to amend its national return. Uh, as I say, national electoral spending is a question for the National Party, not for individual members. The, part, the Electoral Commission has looked into these issues, as it has for issues for the Liberal Democrat Party and the Labour Party. It has issued fines to all three parties, and those fines will be paid. Mr Speaker, the International Trade Committee has been taking evidence from the Chambers of Commerce this morning about exports. Given the Prime Minister's commitment to a global Britain, would she agree with me that we can maintain good relations with our European friends as we leave the European Union and build on our long-standing relationships with our Commonwealth friends across the world to trade our way to greater prosperity? Well, I'd say to my honourable friend, obviously one of the first, one of the four pillars of our plan for Britain is that global Britain, that more outward-looking Britain. He's right, it's not just a question of actually ensuring we get the right relationship with Europe when we leave the European Union. We do want to continue to have a partnership, to continue to be able to trade uh, freely across, uh, across Europe and for Europe, uh, country, uh, companies in European member states, EU member states to trade with us. Uh, but we do want to enhance and improve the arrangements we have for trade with other parts of the world, including members of the Commonwealth. Donna! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, through no fault of her own, Amy and her young daughter became homeless. After months of looking for a flat, she finally went to Merton Council, who told her they could only offer her temporary accommodation in Birmingham, wow. 140 miles away from her job, from her daughter's school, and from the friend and family who make it possible for her to be a working single mum. Can I ask the Prime Minister, in the richest, one of the richest cities in the world, where Russian oligarchs and Chinese banks own scores of properties and leave them empty, how can it be right that a London-born working family like Amy have not a room to live? Well, the issue, obviously, of housing in the London Borough of Merton is one that the Honourable Lady and I worked on many years ago when we were on the Housing Committee of the London Borough of Merton together. Uh, and I recognise that she's raised a concern for her particular constituent. Obviously, I won't comment on the individual case. Uh, what I will say is what's important that overall the government is dealing with the issue of homelessness. We are ensuring that we are building more homes. We are giving uh, more support to people to get into their own homes. But this is something that will take time as we ensure that those properties are available and as we ensure that we maintain the record that we have of providing housing support across all types of housing this country. Nikki Morgan. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister already said, it must be right that the same pupils with the same characteristics attract the same amount of money. And that's an unfairness that was not challenged for 13 years yeah, under yeah, the Labour yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there may need to be changes to the current draft formula, but I hope that she will commit to fulfilling our manifesto promise of making school funding fairer. Yeah. And I think she'd agree with me that if the Labour Party had carried on in office, their spending plans would have led to what's happened in Greece and Spain, yeah. where not just hundreds, but tens of thousands of teachers have had to be fired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my right honourable friend is right that, as I said earlier, this is an issue in terms of the funding formula for schools that was ducked for too long uh, and certainly ducked by the last Labour government. We have actually started to address it. We have been uh, looking at the formula. We have brought forward a proposal. We will look at the consultation responses on that. 
and respond in due course. But she is also absolutely right about the Labour Party. The Labour Party's education policies would mean fewer opportunities in schools, and their economic policy would mean less funding for schools. Jonathan Edwards! Last week, her government confirmed that there had been no assessment of the economic impact of the failure to strike a trade deal with the EU before Brexit. Mr Speaker, is it not the case, in triggering Article 50 next week, she is the modern-day equivalent of Lord Cardigan, the military commander responsible for the charge of the Light Brigade, and we all know how that ended. In triggering Article 50 next week, what I'm doing is responding to the wishes of the British people. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that we urgently need to find a solution to the impact of the national living wage on sleeping shifts in the care sector? This, together with HMRC policies that are insisting on the payment of six years back pay plus penalties, may have a devastating impact on this vitally important sector. Yes, my, my honourable friend has raised a very important point, and uh, obviously through the national living wage, we are giving Britain uh, a pay rise. We are making sure fair is pay, a pay is fair in social care and in all sectors. But on the specific point that he's raised, this is an issue that we are addressing. We're looking at it very carefully, including in the context of the funding pressures on social care. We're working to ensure enforcement protects low-paid workers in a fair and proportionate manner. Uh, as my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, announced in the budget, two billion pounds extra money is going into the social care sector but the very specific issue that my honourable friend has raised is being carefully looked at by the Treasury. Mr Cooper. Thank you Mr Speaker. Despite austerity, shocking pay increases were awarded to the board of Liverpool CCG where a lay lay deputy chair is paid over £100,000 after a 43% increase. Would the Prime Minister agree to investigate the failures of governance within the CCG and the lack of scrutiny within the wider Liverpool health economy whilst ensuring that no mergers take place while this is investigated? I I, I understand that my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, has asked NHS England to investigate the remuneration of non-executive directors at Liverpool CCG, and I'm sure he will keep her updated about this. We want to make the NHS even more efficient so every penny possible can be spent on frontline patient uh, care. And we are seeing results, I'm pleased to say, because we now see a financial position that's improved by £1.3 billion compared to this time last year, with 44 fewer trusts in deficit. But as I say, NHS England is investigating the issue that she's raised. Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Minister will be aware that the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness is calling us all to action to highlight and tackle loneliness. In Northumberland, a small charity, Forward Assist, of which I am a patron, is taking up this challenge with female military veterans who are suffering from severe isolation issues. Would the Prime Minister meet with me and some of these extraordinary women to learn about how our government can help to avoid this outcome in the future? Can I I commend the work that was being done by Forward Assist uh, in my honourable friend's constituency? It sounds a a very valuable project, doing very important work, and the Secretary of State for Defence will be very happy to meet her. Finally, Jack Dreamy. Mr Speaker, tomorrow the Schools Minister has been good enough to meet Erdington Head teachers from a constituency rich in talent but one of the poorest in the country. In a city, Birmingham, where 96% of schools will lose a total of £20 million under the government's fair funding formula. 
Yet Surrey gained 17 million, Suffolk gains 10 million, and Windsor and Maidenhead gain 300,000. How can that possibly be fair? The, uh, I note that the schools minister will be visiting, meeting the honourable gentleman uh, to, and head teachers to discuss this issue. Of course, what the fair funding formula is looking at is trying to ensure that the unfair funding, which has existed up till now, is actually dealt with. And there are some very, very stark differences. There are schools in London, for example, that get more than twice or almost twice the funding of schools in other parts of the country. We need to ensure that we're addressing the unfairness in the funding formula. But as I said earlier, there's a consultation exercise and the department will respond in due course. Order!